Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather here this evening and to come together in the midweek time to worship you, to praise you, to bring up our prayers and our petitions and the situations across the world. And we've come, oh God, to refill our spiritual battery, to be able to fill ourselves with your power, with your presence, with an awesome God who loves us and who's given us so much love through Christ. We've come, oh God, to be revived and refreshed, and we have come to hear your word. I pray for your people in a particular special way. For those, oh God, who are going through a grueling time, one thing after another, and yet, oh God, you are holding them. You are strengthening them. You have not abandoned them, even the time of depression, the time when they have almost come to a place that they're losing hope. You're right there, Lord, and your word is nigh, even in their mouth and in their heart. I just pray, Lord, bring healing. I just pray, O God, open doors. I pray, O God, bring forgiveness. And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, restoration, deliverance. And for particularly a lot of people that we want to lift up for salvation and for the many prayers that have been put outside in the hallway, the prayers would be answered according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome once again, everyone. So glad that we have uh, a, f- a good number of people this uh, today. It's a Wednesday midweek service. Good to see so many of you. And once again, just welcome ev- everyone here in Pastor and Sister uh, Rene Jadav. Just welcome all of you all. And uh, What a wonderful time of worship and praise. Here I raise my Ebenezer. I basically prepared all of that message, particularly when I realized that not often a president speaks at a church, but this time, of course, uh, President Biden, whatever you think about it, I think it's great for a president to come in and speak at uh, basically Ebenezer Church. And that was where MLK Jr. for many years served uh, and you must understand uh, the, the basically talks about uh, emancipation, but he talks about Jesus, the emancipator, and the one that comes to rescue and to bring justice and all of that. But I like the word Ebenezer only because it's talking about here I raise my Ebenezer and what it would involve for us today. It's a very powerful message, but that for another day because right in the midst um, Sister Anna is welcome from Costa Rica in the mission trip. <laughs> right there as I was basically meditating to, uh, on this, uh, here, by, here I raised my Ebenezer. The Lord whispered in a sense of something that is deeper that God wants to move and wants to touch people today. I want to just talk in terms of uh, what we just heard, this beautiful song, Who Am I? And can you ask yourself, who am I? I know everyone here through Christ knows God's mercy and grace, who we are. 
But many people across the world don't know who they are. Many a times we went, we tend to look inward to find who we are. And we tend to look at where and what we have and what we possess. That's wonderful. But then again, we look without, outside, and we tend to look at basically what are very important, our goals, our career, our financial wealth, our health, in terms of a house, a prosperity, yacht, or whatever in terms of what would make us very successful. So many a times we look out and, you know, one of the things that we, don't, we do know in the world is when they ask you, what's your name? The second question they ask you is, what do you do? And many a times people who really uh, tend to live in what would be a class-dominated society tend to feel their job is no greater or worse than many other jobs. I want you to know we're all equal and everybody has a part to pay, play. And even though some who may not have a job, God will open, just keep your heart open. And many of us may not realize the difficulties that people go through to get a job. So we should be always gracious that God helped us, but we need to pray for people who are looking for a job. And they themselves should not look down because God is something. Who am I? I'm going to tell you, my friend, if all that we look for is within and all that we look for is without into the world, into degrees, into our financial status, classism, or where we are, what we are, in what position. The sad situation is, what happens when we die? Or what happens when all of this just fades away? Money don't last forever. Health doesn't last forever. Your car, your yacht, your house, your position may not last forever. A lot of the people that thought they were high up on the top of the hill have found out when they fell that they are like Humpty Dumpty and who was up and then he's down and sometimes he's neither up nor down. And I want us to realize to find out who am I, to find out our identity, we need to realize that because of our fallen nature, we go all the way ancestrally back to Adam. It doesn't matter whether you are white or black or brown. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, you're highly educated, you're gifted or you're not. End of the day, we belong to that one man and woman who began this race, the human race. Put in the Garden of Eden with great promise in a perfect, pristine, glorious place which so much promising, then God walks with them in the cool of the day and bang. They were so sure of that identity because it was found in God. God breathed on them the breath of life and they became a living soul. And to have communion with God was the most, the height of everything, the highest. And yet the deception, I'll talk about that, the liar, the deceiver, and the cheat came in and simply stole their identity. And what we find is one that should have been born with all the blessings that God had given Adam and Eve turned out to be a liar, a murderer, a raging, fanatically angry person. And then comes that line that is corrupted. What you find is the fallen nature or what would be the human fall we can trace many things. Many times uh, we find a lot of good things because of the Latin power of the soul and also strength in some people that comes. But by and large, it doesn't matter 
whether you have uh, the soul was spirit is dead, even though you might have the strength in some way greater than the other. But when man sinned, literally, he could not anymore have that uh, intrinsic fellowship, that communion with God. They were chased out of the Garden of Eden. So we come from a fallen nature. So if there's anything to boast, it doesn't matter whether we basically wear like the Adam and Eve covered themselves with leaf, fig leaves. You could wear a gold leaf or white leaf or green leaf or brown leaf or black leaf. It's just dry. It will basically fade away. You cannot cover yourself in your skin color, in your tradition, in your degree, in all that you are. It's going to fade and you need a covering that would cover you. It must be the covering of God's righteousness. So I'm so glad that our identity for that we need to look up because you see, my friend, if you look within and look outside, we tend to believe this lie that we come out from monkeys. Where did we get this from? But if you tend to look up, you're going to look at the creator. And when we come to an acknowledgement of one who's our maker and one who's our creator and one who's made us for a great purpose, yes, he's holy. Yes, he's full of equity and justice and love and mercy and grace. All of that. He's a transcendent God. It simply means in our human sense, we will not fully be able to know him. But to the level of light that he has given us, we know him. Until one from heaven came down. The one that God sent, even Jesus Christ. So while God is transcendent, he is imminent. He comes to us and the beauty of incarnation that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we have through him God who loves us, God who's compassionate. Not that he's changed, he's still holy and he's still righteous and he hates sin. But the other side is what Christ came to emphasize. He still loves us and that's why he sent help. And the person of help is Jesus. He pays our price. So if you want to know who we are, we thank God that because of our fallen nature, the DNA is corrupt. It is basically no matter how good we are, in the end, we will still fail. We will still fall in terms before God. Because the wages of sin is death and that always stands against us. But something happened. Christ comes in as the last Adam. While the first Adam fell, Christ, by his obedience, he basically rose again and he gives us new life. So if I could put on the new DNA through Christ, those that receive Jesus Christ, the Bible simply says in John chapter 1 and verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons or daughters of God. So what we have is, yeah, we are in this world Coming in the flesh, the DNA of Adam and Eve, and that is what it is. We have the frailty, we will age, we will have sickness, all of that because of that. But then all of a sudden, you also have the DNA of Christ. Simply meaning that we can come to God, the eternal God, the righteous God, the uh, unchanging God, the everlasting God. And you can call him uh, Elohim. And many people know him as the Almighty. Then he revealed himself as Yahweh, the great mighty God in so many respects, from El Shaddai to El Elyon. And he goes on to get more and more revelation. 
And it's amazing until finally he comes in the very essence of Yahweh and simply saves Yeshua. And here is God reaching out through the person of Jesus Christ and he saves us and we find our DNA. Who am I? It is through him because of him. As many as received Jesus to them gave you power to become sons of God. Of course, we recognize God as unchanging. Of course, we recognize God as eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. But we also know him in a personal way, in a relationship way, not religious or ritualistic way, personal way, in a relationship. God is my father through Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus looked and called him father, and he also helped us address him, our father which art in heaven. He also given us the insight through the spirit that we can worship the father, not in the old way of ritualistic in a way in which basically the mannerism of outside form, but God looks to the heart and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So in a sense, who am I? Second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17 tells us, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if any man be in Christ. I know physically you and I are in Jamaica of New York, United States of America. And you may be wherever you are. That is physically. And yet we have what is known as uh, an identity and citizenship which is greater. We are in Christ Jesus. So here is what Paul is showing us a mystery in Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 which was hid. Colossians 1.26, which was hid in the time past, but now in verse 27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is an amazing passage. Christ in me is the hope of glory. So suddenly I find that my address is in Christ. While in the world and all that is in Adamic nature, but in Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, I have the DNA of the Lord. And in Christ, I have a relationship with the Father. So who am I? It does not depend on human birth, human wisdom. They are not born by all this, the Bible says, but are born through the grace of God, by the power of God, and because we have been purchased with the blood of Jesus. When I think about who we are, I cannot express the way that Paul writes about that in Ephesians. Think about the many ways in which he describes who we are. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us, graced, and we have praise, grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So right at the back, God's grace. That is simply favor. We've just gone through a situation that uh, when it came to we were in a really difficult situation and we realized it's impossible to solve until a man came in and God was so good he just been able to cancel everything that stood against us uh, so to speak and I can't explain everything I don't have time but just grace and I began to realize my God grace does the impossible job Grace is unmerited favor. I don't think that's the best way. But in other words, everything and indictment and condemnation, everything that stands against you has been completely removed. And in its place of hate and all of the uh, indictment that stands against us, God took it, uh, put it on the Lord 
and gave us blessings. So what an exchange. Where we should be cursed, where we should be gone to the uh, cross to be crucified, Jesus took it, and in his place he has blessed us. The DNA of God is so blessed. So again, when you turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, grace and peace, peace with God, peace within ourselves, peace outside. Because of what? God's grace. When you turn to verse 3 again, not only peace and grace, uh, uh, grace and peace, but it says, blessed to be, uh, be God the Father who has blessed us with all spiritual. So our blessings come from within in the spirit and then goes into the soul and then in the outside in the manifestation. So there's a blessing that comes. We are blessed, blessed, blessed. Not so much about in the natural, but it must begin in our spiritual. What an amazing thing about it, my friend. Blessed, we have the love of God. God loves us with an everlasting love. And that he has given us so much of his love, that is without measure. Can you believe it? People who really don't deserve it. And he still loves us because of Christ. When you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, continuing, look what else we find. He has chosen us before the foundation. So in other words, way before the foundation of the world, in other words, years of years ago, way before there was time and before time, even before creation, God already knew us. He knew our name. He knew where you would be, where and what you'd be doing. And he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That is chosen. I've chosen you, not that you have chosen, chapter 15 of John, but I've chosen you and that you may bring forth fruit. God chose us. We didn't one day come in and say, okay, you know, I choose my president. We don't choose God. God chose us. That is the pre-election of God. When you go into verse 5, look again, the adjective that he used, having, now this is it, predestinated us. That is awesome. Then he adopted us in the beloved of the children to himself according to his good pleasure. So all of this, think about who am I? Predestinated, adopted. And then when you go to verse 6, again goes on to say, to the praise of his glory, wherein he has accepted us. He's accepted us. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? He just accepts us and calls us his children because of what God did. Some people say that's blasphemy. Well, go through the scriptures and you find God has accepted those who come to him through Christ. What I like about is when you turn to the next verse, verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. And then he goes on to say, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness of his, uh, the forgiveness of sin. So no matter how frail and how a failure or how we fell, God was gracious. God forgive us our sin. And even today, he forgives us because when we confess to him, when we go to him, he just, he's just and faithful to forgive us all our sins. There must be true, heartfelt repentance that we need to turn to God and seek his forgiveness and make amends to others if we have hurt them. 
but the forgiveness is unconditional that God gives us. Now, I want you to understand something very important is all of this, if we could repeat it, I'm accepted, I'm uh, beloved of God, that I am graced, I have peace of God, all of this and much more is incredible. That is who I am in Christ. So who am I? In the natural, in the old way, in my flesh, I'm of Adam condemned, and that's who I am. But in Christ, I am a new creation. All things have become new, and I am not going anywhere except up when Christ shall come, or if I should die, I will be with him. That's where I am. That is a blessing. That is a blessed hope. But I want to say something very important. The thing that God impressed on my heart was something very important. When you go into something that is uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 7, towards the end, the forgiveness of our sin. I want to say something. There are many times the enemy will take away the joy. Happiness mostly depends on happenings around us. Joy is deep within. It doesn't matter if the circumstances and happenings can be rough. You have the presence of God, like the peace of God. You don't feel that turbulence deep within. Yes, you get worried, but there's a sense of peace with God. You're not saying, oh my God, God is angry. I've lost my salvation. You do know that peace of God that passeth all understanding and the joy within. But I want us to know something very important is... You know, the last couple of days, even yesterday, talking to a precious um, friend, I was uh, told about uh, people stealing your identity. They steal your wallet, they go to online, and there's a whole lot of situation that takes place. And it's sad. In many countries, that's all they do. Smart people. I was talking about, I was watching this in Bengal. The people basically have large numbers of people. They... Uh, basically make it sound like they are from the credit card or maybe from the refrigerator or your car. And they say, you know, we are here to help you out. They seem so genuine. They are trained hustlers. But what happens is they're able to steal your identity and steal everything that you... It's a very difficult process trying to get it all back. But in the meantime, many... Uh, people have lost their fortune, have lost, in fact, things that they have possessed. And that is basically what a stolen identity uh, does. I want us to realize that our identity is in Christ. Amen. And listen, uh, it's not going to be stolen just because enemy comes, but he can do something not to steal our identity, but literally things that is connected the fruits of that identity through Christ Jesus. But that's because we love him. When we open doors, or in other words, sin, remember the God's people were covered in that great trek across the wilderness. And the moment they began to sin, there was that hedge of protection taken. And these snakes and wipers and all of these were there. But suddenly they were vulnerable. I'm not talking about the physical in the New Testament. I'm talking about demonic, the serpents that come. When the head just taken away, when we start grumbling, and when we start basically, um, uh, uh, when we don't believe and we have lack of faith or we just have uh, certainly um, uh, not just doubt, extreme doubt, almost to believe God is not there in the midst of where we are. 
And this opens the way. But one thing I want to know among the many things, there are many uh, in which basically the enemy comes in. He loves dust, Isaiah tells us. And every time we have dust, he comes in. He wants to dwell. He wants to poke in his head into our hearts. And we need to realize he will do everything to convince our head and our heart to change. But thanks God for his goodness. But one place where he can try to attempt to bring what would be identity theft is when he takes away so much and we allow him. And I want you to understand this. John chapter 8 and verse 32, the Bible says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So every time something happens in our life, go back to the word so we would be exposed to the word of God and truth will set us free. There's a passage that we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the forgiveness of our sin. That is what God does. Forgives us if we repent of, of him. And 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess, uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But I want you to realize that the enemy has always stolen identity. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden began to question Adam and Eve, and particularly Eve in this case when she was alone, and said, has God said so? Do you really think he cares? You're like gods. I want you to understand they had so much, but they were not gods. They have communication with God. And all of a sudden they felt they were being denied. This which God told them not to eat specifically was something a magic for them. A really great way, a formula to be what they thought they didn't have. They had everything. And yet this is what exactly what Lucifer did in the, when he himself wanted the position and challenged God. What you find is that stolen identity. And you find everything that Satan wanted comes into our life. Death and sickness and all of that. Now I want to realize something very important. When you go back in Ephesians, the forgiveness of our sin. But I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. These words that we will be reading are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ that's spoken at the mount. Uh, and it's called the Sermon of the Mount. So he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this is what our prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the disciples. It's called the disciples' prayer. They asked him, teach us how to pray. And Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. It's not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. So we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then go on to say about forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. So forgive us our debts as we forgive those who debt against us. But if you go down to verse uh, 14 and 15 of the same chapter, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So if we forgive as Christ forgave, then our Father also will forgive. So if you forgive men their trespasses, but when you come down to verse uh, 15, it gets a little touchy. But if you forgive not, Men that trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I want you to understand 
Forgiveness is hard. And I know someone who's listening to me today have been hurt. Money has been stolen. Reputation has been stolen. Somebody's walked away and hurt you so bad. And in the midst of all of this, you are hurting, you're paining. And you are saying, excuse me, what does this preacher going to say? Just forgive? One of the things you need to realize is there's so many things we need to know about forgiveness. Forgiveness is just basically saying, I'm just letting go. It doesn't mean I'm not going to forget. It doesn't mean I'm going to be stupid and see, I'm going to trust you because, you, you know, you've got to trust me. You've forgiven me. Trust is based on unconditional. Forgiveness is based on condition. You see, they hurt you. They could hurt you again. It doesn't mean that go back and give them loan or go back and do the same thing. They will hurt you over and over again. Forgiveness is whatever you owe me, whether in kind or others, I forgive you, but I'm not stupid. They'll come back again and do the same thing. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. But forgive and, for, and, and we need to realize it simply don't hold the grudges. Don't get so upset and angry and freed within and simply lose your joy and your happiness. It's important we understand that this, what the Lord is telling, forgive. Otherwise, there comes a way in which the hedge of protection, like for the children of Israel, a hedge of forgiveness is removed. And we stand unforgiven. To the level we forgive, to that level we are forgiven. To the level we don't forgive, to that level we are not forgiven by our Father. I want you to realize something very important. This is literally a choice that we must make. God doesn't do that choice for us. You know the story in the Bible, particularly our Lord Jesus Christ gave that powerful, tremendous parable in Luke chapter 15 of this father who literally had so much love for his children. But one scoundrel, he said, give me my share like it was his. It belongs to the father. But he wanted a share. And this gracious father is prodigal in his love. Like this son was prodigal in, in gratitude. The Bible, the Bible talks about this young man going away and wasting the money. And now he is in a hole, in a pig pen, doesn't have food except the food that is fodders, that's fodders given to the pig. Then he thought about it when his father's house servants did better. So a sudden feeling that I need to go back to my father and he turns right around, repents. And on his way, he's rehearsing because he's so hurt and pain because he had hurt his father. He should have realized in the first place, but it's never too late. And he is broken in his heart. And he says, I'll say to my father, I've sinned against you. When you come to Luke chapter 15, verse 21, he says, Father, I've sinned against you. And, uh, you know, it was so horrible even to look at the father, but the father embraces him. And he said, I'm not worthy to be called. And verse 22, the father said unto his son, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I want you to understand this man was in a way, unforgivable. Um, you could not forgive somebody like this. The father must have pled. The son must have knocked him out, rebellious kid, took everything, walked away. How could you forget? The villagers said, if he comes back, put him in prison. But here's the father forgiving. Now, I want you to understand there is one 
who asked for forgiveness, there is one who forgave, and the older guy is unforgiving. And he doesn't enjoy the laughter, he doesn't enjoy the music in the house of God, and everything is very critical about him. There's a sense of unforgiveness. But you must realize the father loves this kid, that he's given the fatted calf. Excuse me, the elder boy doesn't even have a fellowship, a relation. How could you, when this waster comes home, you could do this? Think about the father's love, his heart melt, even though the younger did all of those crazy stuff. When you seek forgiveness, something takes place. The things that were a wall that stood against you, something that kept you from fellowship is broken down. And there's a sense of restoration and forgiveness brings that. One very important thing we need to realize is the way this is unconditional when it comes to the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, on the cross, while people were basically uh, making all that to part of his raiment, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they, they don't know what they do. Are you crazy? They were going through one judgment after they started with uh, basically Herod, then went down to Sanhedrin, then went down to uh, Pontius Pilate, then went back again, and, and ultimately all of them basically condemned him. They made a judicial uh, decision. Uh, it was very prejudicial, but that's what the decision was. But Jesus is saying, forgive them, Father. While he's being nailed to the cross, Paul, they do not know what they do. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a fuzzy feeling. It's not sometimes when you say, oh my God, I feel so happy. I think I can now forgive today. Forgiveness, forgiveness is a choice you make and you decide it and that's it. And you put that behind you. And you need to understand, no matter whether that person reacts or whether he's still doing what he's doing, you have your doors open, you have your love for him, but however careful you are, but you do not resent him like you did. And one of the things that even today the doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists are saying, unforgiveness breeds within us a whole lot of illness and diseases from our soul, whether it be emotion, intellect, into the very physical part, spreading like coronavirus and moving in like cancer and destroying our organs. Many people are in hospital. It all started with unforgiveness. It's a double jeopardy here, or bad. Not only they were hurt, but now they've kept their hurt, and the very person who hurt them is laughing all the way to the bank or going with this lifestyle, but the person who get hurt, get hurt even more. That's why there's a way out in which Jesus tells us, forgive. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. And the reason I'm saying this, I'm speaking to a particular person, or I'm speaking to a group of people that need to hear this, and I changed the message because I felt in my spirit, who are you? You're a child of God. You're a candidate to be a child of God. Don't let anything take away the things that God has given you. One of the things that unforgiveness does, it takes away the joy that God gives you. You are so angry, you're so upset, you're looking for vengeance, you're looking way out to hit the man or the woman or do whatever you want. You're not getting rest. That guy is resting. He's peaceful about it, even though he cheated you. 
but what you are doing is fretting, hurting, and damaging your own self. Another thing what you're doing is because of what that holds a grudge and hate, it is taking away the purpose of your life. It's simply ebbing away your purpose and all that God has for you. For some reason, because of this, what you have holding and the grudge and the pain, the blessings of God is being stopped. The channel of blessing, the channel of communication, the channel. Every time you're griping to God, this has happened. You know God. God says, I know. Just let go. And this becomes like a blockage. And many a times in terms of spiritual, solical, physical, mental, it just stagnates us. And we need to be careful. And I want to say this very importantly because you look into the Bible. The Bible tells us so much of what would be God reaching out to us, reaching and forgiving us. You know, not only the father forgives his son, there was rapport, there was relationship, no matter how strained it was. It could be in a family, it could be in a church, it could be among friends, it could be in a larger area. And one of the most important things, the father could have been hurt, hurt and anger and done everything to damage. The younger boy, the older boy, leave him alone. He speaks of people who are cynical, pharisaical and sadhusical. All of that could be a religious nut. But what you find in the father is the heart of God the father. Forgiving is a gracious father. He will forgive you. And there's something we need to realize Back again when you turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 15, look what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. If you forgive not men their trespasses, neither, excuse me, will your Father forgive you your trespasses. The Lord Jesus Christ gave a parable about a man who owed so much and will not, and the other man would not forgive him, even though he came to forgive as forgiveness. You can find that in Luke. Uh, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 33 to 35, where ultimately, when you look at this passage, Matthew chapter 18, verse 33 to 35, ultimately, should the man that owed him much more, he says to this man who was unforgiving, he says, should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant, even as I had pity on you? Look what it says in verse 34. And his Lord was very angry and delivered him to the tormentors. Not simply fear and lack of faith brings torment, but this unforgiveness tormentors till he should pay what was due to him. And verse 35 goes on to say, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you, have your, from, if you from your heart forgive not everyone. It could be some slight. It could be some little things. It could be bigger thing. But if you hold on to this, you are going to be hurt. You are going to be put down. You are going to be losing that blessing. It's very important we understand. Not only it is a choice that we make, it is a command. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, again the words of Paul, echoes the words of the Lord Jesus, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgive you, so also you. So that is very important. There are people 
even in the Christian circle. You love the Lord, you love so much of the things of God, but I'm speaking to you today, let go and let forgiveness come. God is going to bless you. God will deal with that person. Vengeance is mine, but it's not yours. Let go and release the things that stands again, that he's, that's the person stood against you. Release them. Release the things and let God begin to move in a fresh new way. You know, when you look at it, sometimes it gets so dangerously close to even our prayers not being answered. When you turn to Mark chapter, I would think probably one of these passages, uh, it tells us chapter 11 and verse 25, I believe. Look what it says in Mark chapter 11. When you stand praying, forgive if you ought against that your father also. So even when you stand praying and seeking the Lord and you hold the grudge, you will find it difficult. It is so sad. Ephesians chapter, I think uh, in chapter 4 probably, and verse uh, 31, 32, 33, talks about the rage, the anger, all of this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away. And it goes on to say, let forgiveness fill your heart. I know it's easy uh, for me to say this. It's hard to bring this into practice. But there's someone who's going through this illness and sickness. And God is speaking to you. You need to be healed, but you have to let go. Because this is bitterness that is just like cancer hurting you. God wants to heal you today. And you need to let go of all things that you are holding a grudge. God wants to heal you. God wants to totally and completely give you a way out. And he's going to bless you no matter how much you've gone through. He will abundantly bless you. But let go and forgiveness, forgiveness. It's very important. I talk about the enemy. He steals our identity. And this is what the enemy is doing in so many ways, whether in any forms of sin, he wants to steal who we are in Christ. And one of the things is, even when we go to God, we sort of fake a fake identity because we know that we cannot stand with, with all of that hate. So we fake and say, Lord, I'm still better than my neighbor. Can't? But really, you have lost your identity in Christ. And it's stopping you. You need to let go and let Christ come in and totally bring healing to you. You know, there's a couple of times you find, one of them is John chapter 9, verse 1 to 2. But in Mark chapter 2 and verse 5, there is seeing the faith of four people that brings this man down who is paralyzed. Jesus is speaking to this man. He could have said, be healed. That's what the four people, he saw the faith of those four people. But the Lord Jesus saw their faith and he turned to the man sick of palsy and said, son, thy sins be forgiven you. What could it be? You know, at one time he said in chapter one, it's not of the father and mother, all of this because of the Adamic nature, but your sins be forgiven. Is it something because he blamed his parents? Could be. Did the father hit him so hard that he back broke? Or was there something that somebody did to him that he's laying there paralyzed? He could give many reasons, like someone can blame the doctor in the hospital and say, they have ruined my life. Your life is not ruined. 
Just let go and let God touch you and reach out to you. Jesus reached out to this man who was sick with palsy. It was the faith of those four people brought him down. But seeing their faith, look at what again, Mark chapter 2 verse 5. He looks at this man paralyzed and says, your sins be forgiven before healing can come through. You got to let that sin be forgiven. And the man has come to the very praise in the presence of Jesus. And he had tears in his eyes, I'm sure. But when you turn to verse 10, look what he's saying. He says in 10, and that you may know that the Son of Man had power on earth to forgive sins. And then he turns to this man and say, rise up, take up your bed and walk. He dealt with the sin factor. And I would believe it's unforgiveness. I would believe it's a whole lot of faith. I would believe he had reasons to all of that. But then after doing this, forgiveness comes healing. You know, the greatest of the best of the doctors and psychologists now writing books, literally, you almost think you're reading the Bible. They are co collaborating and basically saying exactly what the Bible says. In fact, many of them tell you, in fact, uh, because of the uh, unforgiveness, they have come to a place of bitterness and hurt and they're not opening up. They're drying away and dying soon. And I want to realize, I believe there was a fellow named Dr. Dick uh, uh, Tiller who basically wrote a book, simply says, forgiveness is life and how forgiveness saves your life. On the other hand, a great theologian, a pastor from Kensington, and uh, one of the great preachers in some great conventions, uh, Dr. Katie Kendall, he's written a book called Total Forgiveness. In this book, he talks about his own personal thing. As a young man, he goes to his pastor, basically, uh, Yosef uh, Zon, a man from Z Romania, and he recounted his story and told this pastor the thing that people have done to him and how difficult it is for him, the things he's gone through. So the good pastor heard him out and he said, totally forgive. So the Kendall was shocked. So he basically went back to tell the agony and the pain. And the pastor said to him, totally forgive. Do not rehearse this to me. Totally forgive. And you will see the difference. Katie Kendall said, the things that happened in his book that he wrote, writes about, is when he comes to that place of total freedom, he was able to relinquish it and literally release this forgiveness. In releasing this forgiveness, he was receiving so much that he had not been received for so long, as long as he held the grudge. I think it's a Malayan or um, Dalia, you may know, Indonesian, maybe the song, it talks, uh, it's basically in the Malay or Indonesian language. I believe it's basically Sentha, uh, basically Atiko. It simply means uh, touch my heart. It's a very popular song down in the Southeast Asia. Either it's Malayan or Indonesian, a very famous singer sings that song. And it's amazing. It's also translated in English, touch my heart. But this man who wrote the song talks about this very dear friend, a young lady, 
literally was paralyzed with hate and ultimately was so much demonized, she was chained in her room. She was raped by her father, continuously raped until she get when she went berserk because of hate. She had every reason to hate this monster. And she had this hate and until she lost her mind. And the writer of the song, Touch My Heart, simply says, how one day as she was basically chained to a room, suddenly was able to go, because maybe the chain was uh, rusted, it was old. He came out, she came out, and suddenly she came to her mind, I need to kill my father. I need to take this vengeance. And she goes running, searching for her father. And then the Lord Jesus comes right in front. She struggles and Jesus said, release it. Spoke to her heart. And as she was struggling, suddenly she felt the hug of God and tears coming down from the eyes of God. All of a sudden she realized, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And she found not only emancipation, not only did she find a release, she came to a proper mind, sound mind, back to health and back to where God wanted her to be. No one could stop her. She was stopping herself with the hate. Things happen in life. And I wanted to realize this. Is it Adamic fall? It is because of failure. Some people are very hurtful people. They could hurt you, damage you, but you don't need to live a life totally damaged. God is a God of restoration. He can heal you. And this evening before, and I'm going to ask Pastor Val to just to play us soft music. I just want to pray this. I'm speaking to you and speaking to somebody here as well. Going through so much of pain and bitterness and you have every reason to hate that. You have every reason to hold to unforgiveness. The past is so hurtful, painful. But I'm going to ask you, would you just stand up with me and release it? Stand up, release it. Release it and say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. It's not easy, but God is saying, forgive us. Our debtors, as we forgive those who debt against us. Even as we forgive those that transgressed against us, God will forgive. And I want you to receive from God total forgiveness, complete forgiveness. As you released, I want you to know that God is releasing everything that has been blocked by this border called unforgiveness. By this cancer that has been eating away your joy, your peace, the word that God has given you, release. And now the Father is releasing the power and the presence of His forgiveness and His healing of the mind, of the heart, of the soul, and deep within everything else. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. 
To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.